0: Is it rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Kerry Shale. But she's our special guest. Singer, writer, and composer, Barb Younger.
1: The guilty undertaker sighs, the lonesome organ grinder cries, the silver saxophones say I should refuse you. The cracked bells and washed out horns blow into my face with scorn. It's not that way. I wasn't born to lose you. I want you. I want you. I want you so bad. Honey, I want you.
0: (sighs) that was beautiful, Barb. You're the first person who's actually sung our uh, quote section at the beginning of the the podcast. Um, Why did you choose that uh, song?
1: When I very first thought I would record Dylan, uh, it it had come to me in a sort of um, strange way because I'd been... come back from a gig and it was really late at night and i had a glass of wine i was watching late night telly you know you get in about three in the morning you've been on mm-hmm. the motorway yeah. and you think i can't I, you, you've just got motorway head so i would, i put the television on and it was one of those where people are racing through the bit of the overhead railway that used to be in new york that's now the high the l you yeah know, the gardens yeah. the high line um that and i was watching it and just out of nowhere i this, this little voice came in my head, you must sing the songs of Bob Dylan. And I thought, what? <laughs> and I thought, I must have been, you know, I thought, oh, I don't know what's going on. Is, uh, what? I, I'm, I'm used to this now. But at then I thought, what? <laughs> and so then it happened again. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to phone somebody. I need to phone somebody. It was really late. So I thought, I'll phone somebody in America because they're five hours behind, yeah. you know. So I thought, oh, I'll phone Howard, my friend Howard Thompson, who was an A&R man. And who had been really kind of supportive right through my life, really. Um, so I phoned him up and uh, and I said, should, should, should I sing the songs of Bob Dylan? Do you think that's mad? And he went, oh, I like, that's a great idea. And I said, really? Do you think it's a great idea? And he said, no, it's a really great idea. And I said, OK. Um, and he said, no, leave it with me. And he was one of those people who really likes helping you. So he recorded all the songs he thought I should sing, which was about 12 cassettes worth. And sent them all from New York. And then I played them all. And what I do is I just play stuff over and over and over. Um, and then, and I don't look at anything in the first bit, I just listen. And then I wait for things to go to stay with me. And then I have to find them again, which on cassette is a real pain. Mm. And I find it again. And then I went, oh, right. And this was in that very first set of songs. This was one.
0: Where you was that? 2000. And so we should say, if, if people aren't familiar with your huge body of work, well, how would you describe... You've been described as a cabaret singer, a jazz singer, certainly not a folk singer. How would you describe your singing style?
1: It's really an interesting question, that because somebody said, oh, you sing blues, jazz. And I said, no, I don't, actually. What I do is I sing with bits of all of those things, but I'm not a blues singer. I'm not a jazz singer. I'm not a cabaret singer. I don't, I don't know what any of those things mm. really are, mm-hmm. and they're you know the subject of long motorway discussions between musicians that are duller than <laughs> ditch water unless you've got 300 <laughs> miles to kill.
0: Um, but you don't you don't play a guitar and no, you know have a no, bass uh, and drums that. in the background generally. Although I know you do sometimes.
1: Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. I've grown fonder of drums actually late, lately. But um, but percussion. You know, absolutely, and um, and often piano because I really like the orchestral quality of mm. piano because piano really can't do anything and it's both percussive and, you know, uh, and, uh, yeah, and I'm fonder of... I'm, I'm drifting to guitar again. I can feel because, of course, I worked with Michael Parker for years and he was a guitarist. Mm-hmm. So, which is probably why I went to piano after that. But, you know, you sort of come full circle eventually, I think.
2: Mm. But, I mean, lots of people do... Um, you know a covers album or a Dylan covers album you've covered somewhere between 30 and 40 songs of his
1: yeah but I don't uh, often when I listen to what people have done and, and it's no disrespect to anybody who's done it they just don't go anywhere with it for me yeah and I kind of think that's a bit of a wasted opportunity because I don't really see the point. In which case, I may as well just go and listen to Bob Dylan. Yeah.
3: Um,
1: but if I listen to, for example, Odetta singing mm-hmm. Dylan, it's I'm listen- I know I'm listening to Odetta, and I know that she's funneling that material through her. I knew her. I don't know if you know really? that, but I knew well, her. her. I I, we were her. on
0: that bill with her, but I didn't know that you knew her.
1: Yes, I, I knew yeah. her quite quite well because she came to see me when I first. Performed Dylan in New York because we shared a manager. And of course, I was absolutely terrified. You know, I thought, oh, hmm. this is awful. And she came out and then she told me the story because I said, you, you threw him out of the studio. You know, it's legendary. And she said, Oh, I mean, really? She said, I'm trying to record his songs. And he turned up. (laughs) He said, so I said, what are you doing here? Get out. And and I'm I'm going, he said, what? And of course, because the time was different, you know, that Bob Dylan wasn't the Bob Dylan that he is now then. Do you know what I mean? Mm. She and she was, Odetta was, you know, she was kind of a Nina Simone um, Flavour of person, Odetta. Mm, mm. She had experienced quite a lot of very difficult situations in the early part of her years, and she hadn't forgotten any of them. Mm. So um, she, but she was, uh, she was adamant. She said, "I don't want him there. They're his songs. Mm. I'm singing them. I don't want him there, judging me."
2: But I mean, I mean, do you remember when you, when you first heard him?
1: Well, again, funnily enough, and this only came to me recently because I was with John McDaniel, and we did this whole thing about 1968. And in the middle of, of the collecting of the songs, I said, Oh, I really want to do this Wheels on Five. It's got great arrangement of it and yeah. I love it. And it feels very deeply political to me at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like one of those songs that I could just sing to the government, you know, right mm-hmm. now, right here, right now. And uh, if only given the chance. And um, I suddenly realised when I was introducing it that it was the first Dylan song that I really knew. Wow. But of course, I hadn't known it was a Dylan song. Ah, because I knew it. yeah, Julie Driscoll and Brian Brian Auger. Mm-hmm. And so um, so it was like a revelation that I'd had on stage because I'd always said it was Blind Willie McTell, mm. w- which was not the first song I'd ever heard because obviously I'd heard the hits. Mm. Obviously I'd heard those. But the first song that really kind of hit me, that light the, one, the one yeah. that goes, that, that whacks you, where you go, oh, stop it. What? What yeah. do you want from me? What? <laughs> yeah. That. That was Blind Willie McTell. Right. But actually it wasn't, it was This Wheel's On Fire, but I hadn't known that because I was just so taken up with Julie Driscoll's arms, you know, yeah. and Going, yeah. <laughs> the wildness of it and that insane organ
0: yeah have you had uh any uh, obviously you've had great reactions from your interpretations i, I know your dylan and cohen album mm-hmm. i think is one of your best-selling uh, albums the one that's sort of half dylan half cohen every grain re- of
1: sand the, the dylan one is
0: the biggest is it mm-hmm. okay and and have you had any? Uh, well, I remember when I saw you do "Like a Rolling Stone" at the Barbican at that mm. evening with with Odetta, and uh, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I don't know how to describe the interpretation because it, it took my breath away, and it. I know some people hated it. Well, that's the thing. I, I was aware that when you started it, because it's 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 got a very beautiful, almost classical piano accompaniment. Mm. It's quite. Lengthy, I think, because mm. it's, 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 it's it's quite an
1: yeah, it's really slow. Yeah. <laughs> but,
0: but it's so dramatic. You you turn it into a kind of a psychodrama, but a quiet, mm. understated psychodrama up up to a point, and then at one point you contact the audience. Mm. And I was watching the audience, and they were uncomfortable in the way that they would be at a early Dylan, and I thought that was terrific, but I'm wondering, and you won them over at the end and got a huge ovation, but they were very uncomfortable for a great deal of it, and I'm wondering, has anyone ever approached you and said, you know, how dare you, what are you doing?
1: Um, No, but I've seen it in reviews. I've seen Mm -hmm. that in reviews, you know, uh, and and I've kind of learned that not everybody likes what you do. Mm. And also that it's very particularly... A British thing actually. And I and I my theory about it, which Mm. is worth, you know, only as much as anything else, is that the Americans don't feel that they know Dylan's theirs. They know he's theirs. Mm. Because he is. But he isn't ours. He comes from somewhere else. Mm. So we've sort of grasped him to our collective cultural bosoms and and that makes us much more furious if things (laughs) challenge that whereas americans it's like it's like kids isn't it you know your kids in the sandpit, and there's parents that go oh leave them alone they're fine and there's other ones who go they're falling Mm. over oh no no that that it's that kind of weird thing um so i think and i think it took a long time for a lot of people to understand that whatever you're doing, you're doing it respectfully, whatever that's worth. You yeah. know, I do it because I think the material's fantastic and deserves it. And I do think, and I said it for years ploughing across America, he's the American Shakespeare.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Um, I think as texts, there. You know, there's no question for me that the Nobel Prize mm. was rightly awarded for literature to this man for his work mm-hmm. because the texts are... I never tire of them. I came back to Singing Dylan. I was really happy. I did, actually, last weekend. I did two shows in a row mm. of the, this most recent collection I've taken on the road for two years because they re-released Every Grain of Sand for 15-year anniversary. Who knew there was such a thing mm. as a 15-year anniversary? <laughs> but apparently there is. It's
0: a record company. Though. Yes. So, yes. Yes.
1: <clears> so they re-released it, which it was always on release. But anyway, they re-released it. And so I said, oh, I tour again. And I put a new sort of shape of it together with things that I've never recorded with things that were on other albums like shelter from the storm Mm -hmm. and put it all in one which meant that I went back to material that hadn't sung some of it I hadn't sung since I recorded it in 2001 and I came back to it and it was revelatory and then further revelatory was that every single night you sing it it's not the same, it's not the same. You know, you stand on a stage and you go and you've seen the news today, and suddenly it's something in the song, you go bing, you go, oh yeah, that's today, that's today. Yeah. That's the reality of the of the quality of his understanding of humanity, yeah. that kind of that really relentless gaze that
2: yeah, I remember I a, a few years ago. I, it was a few years ago. They were they were talking about the war in Syria, um, and at some point, I was listening to St. Bob Dylan that day, and the phrase "I saw guns and sharp swords in the hands of young Thank children" you. just jumped out of me.
1: Yeah, every time I come to that line, because that's in this collection. Yeah. Every time I come to it, I can barely get it out. Oh, I'm so angry.
2: Yeah, I got pimples just thinking about it. It's mm. it's so acute and so exact mm. and, and and profound. Mm. Yeah.
1: Know. Is your money that good? Will it buy you forgiveness? Do you think that it could?
2: Oh,
0: yeah. I know you also sing some of the simple love songs, like If Not For You, you mm-hmm. you've recorded. Mm-hmm. Doing something like that, do you find, because it, it seems, it's probably deceptively simple. How how can you get deep into something with with lyrics that, I mean, I love it. I think it's brilliant, but um, do you find it more challenging less challenging than a, than a, a really spiky
1: well you see i think they're quite interesting the love songs because they're never what what i i think they're superficially but never really what what one thinks they are mm-hmm. so um if not for you feels to me quite edgy in places winter would have no spring couldn't hear a robin sing i wouldn't have a clue and and you go, hmm, there's something else going on. There's mm. something that always feels like there's something else going on.
2: I was thinking this this morning, listen, it's just like a woman. Yes. Because it's a, you know, it, it it's an impossibly tender song, or at least it sounds like that. But I've always had this thing, you know nagging at the back of my head that you get to the chorus and you think it's quite scornful, possibly even misogynistic. And I asked my teenage son to listen to it, who he did not want to listen to Bob Dylan on the way to school in the morning. But I said, look, I just need you to listen to this with a fresh pair of ears and tell me if you think there's an element of misogyny in here. Um, and he said, the chorus is a bit patronising. Yeah, you break, you know, just like a little girl. He said, but lots of music is, is quite patronising and quite cruel to women, isn't it? I thought... God, that's an interesting Bravo conversation. Your son.
3: Well,
2: but I mean, and you've covered that song. I mean, do you think?
1: Yeah, but I, I, I mean, I, I went somewhere with it. Yeah, you know, because again, because I think I think you're absolutely right, and I think in order to make that work, what I, what I did was at the end. Um, uh, I, can't, I I I used to add a little thing in break just like a little girl like Nina Simone did break just like a little girl and I used to just put you know names in. I, mean, I just used to fly a little bit with it at the end mm. to go. Yeah, we're all aware that that is just you know hello. Yeah. Um. Because I think it's fine to. I don't I don't have a problem with, singing, somebody's patronising possibly misogynistic lyrics because mm-hmm. i hope that what i'm getting out of that is a reveal yeah. a reveal of a, a why a reveal yeah you know um and uh Oh, you've read the you've read the book you've read the the, the biography in mm. inverted commas mm-hmm. where we don't ever use the word of my wife we don't ever name my wife we have two wives in that book mm. we mm. might have three if i can't remember we've definitely got two mm. but we're not they're not distinguished my wife no that's so interesting i mean yeah. that speaks volumes
2: it does doesn't it my wife never did understand me after mm-hmm. that moment and all this yeah mm. she's never named
1: no. So we don't know which um, You do, because if you work on the timeline, yeah, you can see. Yeah, But that's quite, again, revelatory.
2: But also, and I was thinking, just to return to the subject of Just Like a Woman, it, it, it comes from, as does I want you, it comes from this the, the mid-60s period when there was a kind of... To my ears, and it's before I was born, but a, a kind of hip misogyny in the Beatles, in the Stones, in Dylan. You've got the Beatles song, Think for Yourself, you know, if, uh, uh, um, about your mind being, uh, try thinking more of your. Yeah, although your mind's <coughs> opaque, Stupid try girl. thinking more, mm. if just for your own sake. Stupid girl, out of time, huh. under my thumb is a nasty little song. Oh,
1: I, I love that. We used to do it in Girl Talk. I love that song so much. We used to get, we got such mileage out of that song. And you subverted
0: yeah. it, right? So, I mean, yes. You love it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Bob's um, attitudes towards women have changed? Time out of mind, I found sort of scarily still even more angry at women, more overtly angry at women. Some, sometimes, anyway, I'm sick of love.
1: Mm, I'm sick of love. Um, yeah, but possibly um, I felt more in that, that it was sick of your own position in mm-hmm. it. was. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, that's a song I'd like to, yeah. There, mm-hmm. are, there are some songs from there that I'd like to go back to now. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I I can't speak, but you know I don't know the man personally, and so I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't wish to even begin to speculate. But I would say that if you were a rock star of that magnitude at that time, given that we've all read all the stuff since then, then you know that you could do anything you wanted, and that's not helpful. Actually, it's not helpful for people's psyche.
3: Mm.
1: You know, it didn't help any of. Um, Led Zeppelin, you know, it doesn't help you as a human being. It doesn't help you grow. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help you be a better artist. It doesn't help you. And I think Dylan is so smart that he's probably worked that out.
0: Yeah, I think there was, uh, we had David Hepworth in here uh, for our, our first uh, podcast and, and his, uh, he talked about Dylan, the rock star, uh-huh. and how he tried, he's always tried on these different masks and at one point, it, it was David's theory, I believe, that he tried on the mask of the rock star and was even playing a rock star in that uh, Hearts of Fire movie. Oh, yeah. and, and it didn't do him, as you say, any good. No. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, you know, he's, he was willing to go anywhere. So at one point he went there and I mm-hmm. think it was very difficult to crawl out of that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But also, as another one of our guests said, who may or may not have
2: gone out when we put this one out, um, that authenticity is kind of a red herring here. He's he's trying on all these different identities. To ask which ones are real is is kind of not the point. No, because you know, I, I, he's pretending to be a folk singer and he's pretending to be a rock star. But
1: he's... I don't. But you see, again, I don't know whether I believe any of that because I don't know that you, he was pretending to be a folk singer. I think um, I think that initial desire to go and work. I mean, I I was very fortunate when I did those New York runs to meet all kinds of people. Bob Fass was one. And Bob Fass knew Bob Dylan at a very early point because they both went out with people who were in the same theatre group, and there was something I'm not re- remembering the detail of this terribly well, but the important bits I've got. Um, but they were doing a, a brecht, and um, and that's and he used to go in and watch the brecht every day, and you know you you see the brecht in the writing sometimes, you mm. can feel it, you know, it's there. Um and you can you can see that and it, he talks about it a little bit, Dylan himself, of course, in his book. But um Bob Fass was very clear that Dylan's uh desire to to you know, to be in the coffee bars and getting that material out, that was a real a real impulse. And so I would hesitate to call that playing mm. a folk musician Mm -hmm. and then I think when the electric thing happened that to me that I don't see the problem at all you're looking at your work and you go actually what I'd like is I'd like drums and I'd like guitars Mm -hmm. and I've seen this band Um, I've seen you know the Hawks wasn't he saw the Hawks and I like the Hawks Mm -hmm. and yeah I can see myself with that I I don't think that was a game I think that was a an artistic choice about the music you want around Mm you um, and I would say the same of you know, the musicians he's got around him now are so interesting. They're Bloody good. Those people are bloody good at yeah. playing Americana. They really mm-hmm. are. And they're so relaxed. And when you catch the band, I'm talking about these recent tours, yeah. last, say maybe three tours, you catch them on a good night and you can see the joy in playing. You know, I always sit near enough to be able to see that and I can see the joy in playing. And it's, It's not, you know, I don't think it's still him pretending to be a crooner. I think it's him going, actually, I really like those songs. Mm -hmm. And his own singing's improved since he's been doing that, by the way, Mm
2: -hmm. interestingly. When was the last time you saw him?
1: Um, Last tour, the Palladium.
2: Right, yeah. Oh, you saw those ones? Yeah, great. I saw the
1: Palladium. I wept for about 45 minutes, actually. I sat in the front oh. row of the balcony. I had a really great seat because, you know, in the Palladium, you can practically touch the stage yeah. from those front seats. Um And I just cry- I don't, I don't know what happened. I, he, they, they started playing and I just started to weep, you know. And I thought, thank God I'm on my own because at least, you know, I just look like I'm some odd woman weeping rather than you have somebody there who's going, are you all right? You're right? up but actually what you just need to do is weep, yeah. you know. Uh, I found it terribly moving. I find this. I find his work now mm. terribly moving.
0: Yeah. Did you Did you see Girl from the North Country?
1: Yes, I did.
0: I mean, I'd, I wanted to. I will ask you about that. But when Sheila Atim sang um, that, that was the second song, the Tight Connection to My Heart, yeah. I found myself weeping. I didn't. Oh God, in, me too. In, the whole show, I thought, had flaws for me. But uh, but some of the to me, some of the singing was. Just stunning, and I—I I, was—and shocking as well because I didn't expect to be in tears ten minutes into the show. But what did you—what mm. did you make of it?
3: Oh, oh.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you? I used to work with Alexis Sale, and and um, we opened for him for I don't know two tours, but. Probably about sixty nights, I used to watch him every night, and he did this wonderful joke, where he was on top of a bus playing that person nobody wants to sit next to, and he and the and the character would go, "Hello, I'm doing wood, I'm doing metal work. If you want your carrot, uh, your, your parrot welding, I'm your man," and it felt to me like a parrot welded to a piece of cheese. <laughs> Is is where I'm going with this? <laughs> is that's that's what I thought of it. I mean, uh, I absolutely understand why Dylan was happy for his work to be used and thought this was a good idea. I absolutely, um, I I didn't dislike the play at all. Actually, I, I, there were lots of things I thought were interesting about that. I just didn't understand why I was being asked to watch it. I didn't I didn't understand why, and. So for me, it was an interesting experience because I kept thinking, "Why? Why have we suddenly uh, the movement?" I, I could separate out all kinds of things that I loved. You know, I di- I, I didn't dislike the arrangements. So I, I know the arranger, and I phone. I think I phoned him or I tweeted him and said, "Really lovely arrangements," which mm. was true. I thought some of the singing was lovely. Uh, it wasn't the performances. Um, I liked the movement a great deal. I loved the set. Um, I didn't think it was a bad idea but i didn't know why those songs with those mm. people coming in and out mm. of character was happening and that i found it slightly problematic and i slightly felt and and i slightly felt that i was being asked to accept anything because i've loved bob dylan
0: well i, I... More or less agree with you. Except I, I, I you know? really loved the music. I loved the arrangements, but I didn't understand the play. I didn't actually. I thought exactly. I, I thought well, just because anything can happen in a Bob Dylan song, it, it, that's not quite good enough. When, when, for instance, the a, a black man and a white man traveling together in uh, northern Minnesota at at that time in the Depression, where we've been told earlier in the play that a black man was hung was was lynched. And they merrily come in in the middle of the night, and the white guy who runs the rooming house says, "Hello, uh, Negro man, please come in and have a you know have a bed." Things like that. And I thought, okay, well, okay, we're in a fantasy, then, are we in a fantasy? But then sometimes it would seem to be a reality. And they sang "Hurricane" as a kind of a hoedown, which I thought was odd too. Yeah, so no, I, I, did, had a lot I was a fond of
1: that, um, and I, I I don't like any covers of things that. That I've sung myself, which I think I've done better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that
2: that narrows it down. I
3: mean,
1: I know I I I feel now that I've kind of. Yeah, Adetta died, you know, and, and we. I, th- I sometimes think she's on my shoulder because I sometimes feel I no longer need to not care. I don't care anymore, do yeah. you know. I think, no, that is true. If I hear a version of a song, I think, no, I'm sorry, I think my version's better than that. <laughs> then that's how I feel, you know. Yeah. And I did feel that about a couple of things. But that doesn't mean they weren't good, you know. It really doesn't mean they weren't good, and it doesn't mean that other people didn't like it. I just think other people don't have my taste.
2: Can we talk a bit about Leonard Cohen Just <laughs> if <you're> because <laughs> well, only because you've released an album where you know you very purposefully uh, blended the songs of Dylan with Cohen um, juxtaposed juxtaposed is a good word uh I mean in what ways are they similar in what ways they're different? what's your emotional connection to them uh
1: okay, similar um they they draw on they draw on absolutely the same heritage mm mm-hmm. You know, we've got, I mean, I know that Leonard Cohen's um, religious upbringing was different. But Dylan's upbringing in Duluth, uh, you know, I have a sense of what that was. I have a sense of what it was to be Jewish in Duluth mm-hmm. um, from things that I've been told and things that people have shared with me and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that there's a there's a drinking from a particular Judeo-Christian well of imagery um, which is particular. It's very particular. Mm. And um, um uh there's a sense of I would say morality yeah. that comes from that. if you um if you've grown up which uh which I I did with quite uh quite a solid religious space. I mean I was brought up in it in a, not in my house but in the refugee, the community that we were taken into in Rochdale, they were hardcore Irish Catholic. So I was brought up in amongst that. Mm-hmm. And it does something to you. It gives you something, whether you whether you accept it or reject it, it imprints itself somehow on your DNA poetically. And it's in both of them. And I mean, you so see it in Leonard Cohen's "I want it darker," you know you, you can 't that mm. is so obvious that's yes. a it 's a hymn yeah. Yeah. you know but but it's a it 's a moral hymn for the for the century we 're in yeah. you know and and should be on before every news I should, for me, it should be played before every single news on the television and the radio
2: well, as many people did we you know we we conflated the the death of Leonard Cohen with the election of Donald Trump separated by two days, but we didn 't know he died actually when Trump was elected. Mm. And I found myself listening to Democracy and the Future and Everybody Knows because they were the only songs that gave me the kind of feeling that I needed to feel.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, everybody mm-hmm. knows the boat is leaking, everybody oh, yeah. knows the captain lied, everybody's got this broken <laughs> feeling that their father or their dog just died. Mm-hmm. It was the only He was the only one, even Dylan, who could actually make, put me in the right headspace at that time.
0: Mm. Do, do they require just technically a different way of, um, of singing with breath? Do you find...
1: No, I mean I never think about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, when I when I used to teach, um, and and indeed if I if I still do, I was <laughs> terrible terrible things that I do. Um, I always say to people, like, I really don't care where you breathe. What I care is that you care about what you're saying, what you're what you're singing. It, and if you if your phrasing's good, you can put breath anywhere you know if you if you're thinking a set of thoughts the breath because you naturally do it when you're speaking you don't need to th- you know it's such a kind of legacy of something that i don't
2: understand um, but breathe where you need to breathe and sing the song properly. I'm really glad to hear you say that because my singing teacher at drama school, I wish she was here now because we could have a, have oh, a she's word. destroyed a lot. <clears throat> I mean, not your singing. No, my but, singing you know, teacher was awful as well was always talking about yeah, but that sort of thing. But for example, Dylan, when he, when he sings Mr. Tambourine Man in, in mm. Europe in May 66, when he, he finishes the song with, with the line, let me forget about today until tomorrow. <laughs> Rogue. Mm. You know, and it's so pointed. Mm. Who's going to tell him that that's the wrong way of of saying it or the wrong place to breathe i Mm. mean it's it's profoundly emotional
1: and and Mm. creative you know exactly it's profoundly emotional and creative and that's what you want i think that's what you want when you want to hear somebody sing that's the point
0: do do you find any going back to dylan's possible misogyny Mm. um well versus cohen do you find cohen's attitude towards women different from dylan from your experience
1: um, well, again, you know, if we're just looking at what we know about them, I, I think there's a difference. I think there's a very big difference in, in in, as much as I think Cohen is a romantic and I'm not sure Dylan is. I think Dylan is obviously, clearly was uh, an immensely sexual person, but that doesn't mean romantic. Hmm. Whereas I think Cohen was probably both. And, yeah, that's um, a really good point. And I think that both of them, um, and I, I think I said this recently t- to you, actually, Kerry, I think both of them look without blinking at things that are very difficult. You know, that look, oh, I looked away. They're not look away people. They look right at it. But I think that they look at it with different response. So they're both unflinching, but I think Cohen can tend, can tend to the tender in a way that I see less of in Dylan. But then, Cohen will turn around and give you the future. Yeah. Mm. Which is, you know, I mean, I sang that years and years ago and cleared a room. But some people waited mm. outside to scream at me, how dare you? You know, how dare you kill another fetus now We don't like children anyhow? And I said, you know, it's not me. I'm just, I'm singing mm. the song to make a point. And they went, well, it's horrible. <laughs> But and then I came back to that song, and now I sing it, and people go wild.
0: You know, it's extraordinary. Oh, it's interesting. Well, the future is caught up.
1: Well, we are. We are in that yeah. future.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. you'll
1: see a woman hanging upside down, her features covered by a fallen gown, and all the lousy little poets coming around trying to sound like Charlie Manson and a white man dancing. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So Cohen, having having said that tend to um, tenderness I don't think that's that's a position he's in all the time and I think they both can do that thing of going do you know what this is how I feel about this in whatever they're channeling whichever way that's coming
0: would you uh, but Cohen would thank his audiences in the in the last uh, Mm. X number of years that he was touring he
1: was joyous to be on the stage
0: Yeah. yeah yeah
1: But I think Dylan is as well, you see. I just think he doesn't want to tell you that, and that's okay as well.
2: Yeah, you can't tour for 30 years and and, and maybe not like it, really. I mean, I think...
0: Oh, I'm not saying he... I'm certainly not saying he doesn't no, like no, it. I, I, know not. I know you're not. No, it's just he doesn't do that sort of thing. He doesn't Although, do that gracious thing. You know that, you um, thing? that bootleg that you made for me recently, Glasgow, yeah. what year was that? Uh,
2: Glasgow, seventeenth of September, two thousand. Geeks. So well, so you so know your Bobcat. He's are in-house. They do that. He's
0: our in-house geek, and I. I'm, Ooh, but but I, I swear to God, <laughs> I heard him say thank you twice. Oh, we used so, to then. Yeah, it was so weird to hear Bob Dylan say thank you in about two thousand. Just you know, thank you after a number. It in the early just, part aw. of the century, he used to
2: do this this noise that wasn't really a word, but it it was made up of the words thanks everybody, and he was going <laughs> hey, you <Ryan. laughs> are. And that you get that, and then it'd be along the watchtower, and time to go home. And you could set your watch by it. Whereas now, you know. (laughs) Oh, that's a great song. Have you you done that? Have you
0: covered that? Yes,
1: it's on. um, It's on Shelter from the Storm. We put it with um, Peter Gabriel. Oh, I get so lost sometimes. Days pass and this loneliness. That one. Yeah. Emptiness fills my heart. And, we, and so we had the, those coming in and out of each other um, more and more and more. So, yeah, it was, It was. I, I think it's, uh, it was Lawrence Hobgood worked on it with me.
0: What, what do you make of it being inside it all along the Watchtower? Because there's been a million theories about it. Do you have any?
1: Oh, I think it's another of those really, I think it's really a now song, mm. you know. Um, oh, I haven't got it in front of me. Uh, businessmen they drink drink my bu- wine.: wine. Um, Plowmen dig, plow dig my earth. Uh, not, not, none of them none of them.: know the no, what any of this is worth. Yeah. That feels to me to be incredibly modern. I feel that very much on a day-to-day basis, mm. largely about our politicians.
2: And it relates back to this "Wheels on Fire" because they're both from the same year. They're both from the time when Dylan had, uh, by all accounts, a Bible on a lectern mm-hmm. and was obviously reading a lot of King Lear. Mm. You know, there's, and and you go back to the morality that you mm. talked about. There is that that it's huge morality in there, and that sense of doom and mm. and prophesying and all sorts of things.
1: Yeah, no, and I do I do think it's they they are they do feel to me like preaching. I mean, Dylan always has said it's vocational. This is vocational you know and which uh, which i feel about all of the performing arts i have no interest at all in career performance it just doesn't work for me it, just, it, it I, I know it when i see it i'm perfectly happy to sit through it but it doesn't do anything for mm. me um anything that that ha- it, it, it's vocational and and i think you feel that in the work I, it feels to me that and i think that's so interesting again in the in the book um in the book, in the biography, where uh, Daniel Lenoir says, can we not have another of those songs like whatever it was, like Rolling Stone or the songs Mm -hmm. that he wanted um, at Hard Rain, whatever it was he wanted. And Dylan says, no, because the muse that was with me then isn't with me now. Or those Mm -hmm. spirits that were with me then Mm -hmm. aren't with me now. And then you get Man in a Long Black Coat Mm -hmm. and you go, okay, well, that's, I don't know whether that's true because that's certainly come from somewhere else. Yeah. You know, that's the that film where the preacher has love and hate. Nice
2: the have, hunter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: That's that. Mm. You know, that that whole song. Did she go with the man in the long black coat? Does she go with him? Mm. Who is he? Is he the devil? Is he just a man in a long black coat? Is, is what, he it Johnny
2: Cash, you know? Yeah, is it
1: Johnny Cash? <laughs> you know, is it exactly? Or or are we, you know, are we playing with all of that because it's just ploughing through? And again, I think that thing that people now do where everybody wants to know what things mean and I I don't want to know what things mean Mm. I want things to be a puzzle I want things to be opaque I want not to know I don't I don't want it explained I don't want somebody to sit me down and tell me you know blow by blow that somebody said to me in um going back to Leonard Cohen and and Dylan just for a second uh um first we take Manhattan Mm. I sang that for a very long time with a very sort of Sense of what it was, what it was where, where I was with it, and somebody in America, in, in Australia, actually, journalist said, "You do know that there was one interview where Cohen explained that song," and I said, "Please don't tell me about it because <laughs> I,"
3: yeah.
1: and she said, "Well, I'll send it to you," and I said, "No, please don't," and then of course I have to read it if you send it to me because I, what am I going to do, just not read it, um, and and he says, "Oh, it's my, it's my, it's terrorism and blah." And then I thought, oh, that's now, how am I going to sing that? Because that wasn't where I was with this song. This song was somewhere else with me. And then a new thing happened and I found myself on stage going, so now we talk about, we think about this song being written here, but then these things happening and now listen to the song. So there it is written and now these things have happened 20 years later, 30 years later. And now listen to the song, and it did a different thing again. So, um, and I think that about the Dylan. Yeah, you know th- that you you keep finding, even if you even if somebody does painfully explain it, you go, <laughs> actually, I don't think that's where it is. I think mm-hmm. I'm in a different place on the bayou with this mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm 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 in a I'm in a little fishing. Boat here, and and you're on the land. Uh, this I'm floating, and I'm okay mm. with that. I'm okay with not knowing.
0: Well, unfortunately, <laughs> we've got to wrap it up.
3: Oh,
1: that
0: was yes. that was very beautiful. I know we've just gotten started, but I that's know. that's the way it is. They're keeping mm. us out of the studio. So, um, thank you, Barb Younger.
1: Thank you so much. No,
0: thank you. Huge very much. pleasure. Is it rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan is recorded in the Hamburg suite at VoiceOver Soho Studios. Engineered by John Green and produced by Peter Morris. We're on Twitter at IsItRollingPod. Music is by Sam Hare. Tolling for the aching ones whose wounds cannot be nursed, for the countless confused, accused, misused, strung-out ones and worse. worse. Do you want to sing the rest of it? (laughs) And for every hung-up person in the whole wide universe. We we gazed upon the
3: child of freedom flashing